Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. want to give a, uh, a special hello to Dave of DJ Pools in Brantford, Ontario, who uh, I know is listening tonight. Dave is uh, up in his 70s, but a, a loyal, loyal fan. I had a, an occasion to uh, to meet Dave. Uh, my sister, she gets her, uh, her her pool supplies from Dave in Brantford. She said, oh, you got to come and meet Dave. He's a big fan, and he listens to all your shows. He loves you. He loves you. Come. So I was in Brantford. Uh, visiting mom very recently and uh, she was out there getting some chemicals for her uh, her pool she, she's just opening it up and she said he's here and can you come out you got five minutes so I, I mom and I jumped in her Toyota Corolla and we headed out highway two and uh, couldn't miss it it was right next to the Tim Hortons we were and uh, uh, she didn't tell Dave I was coming and he turned around and there I was and he just hug, bear hugged me <laughs> Just give me a bear hug. And uh, what a, a sweet man T- took a picture of me and very computer savvy. From You know, uh, people up in their 70s are very computer savvy. It's the fastest growing population online because, you know, they want to keep track of their uh, their grandchildren who are living in Vancouver or Los Angeles or whatever. Uh, they know how to Skype and all this. So we said, oh, I'm going to post this on your Facebook page. And I said, great, because I don't know how to do it. Anyway, Dave, if you're listening, it was great to meet you, and, and uh, thank you for your support. And also I want to say hello to Rodney. Rodney, who, who uh, lays claim to being my number one fan in the USA, he just found my podcast over the Memorial Day weekend. And he says since then, he's listened to something like 60 hours uh, of the podcasts and uh, had a very, very kind uh, email that he sent me. So, Rodney, welcome aboard. Glad you found me. The, the people who listen on podcasts, on the, to the podcast, it's amazing. Uh, I received an email from a gentleman in the Outback in Australia who delivers the mail by moped and he, while listening to my podcast. Uh, so, and, and an artist in New York who's, uh, you know, got this loft and he's doing these huge canvases, these huge, you know, panels of art, listening to the podcast. He says it's turned way up. Uh, it's very gratifying to, 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 uh, to know that I'm connecting with you in that way. So, uh, if you, uh, if you can, subscribe to the podcast. You can do it, I believe, through the, the website, uh, zoomerradio.ca, somewhere on there. Again, I'm a techno peasant. I can't even subscribe to my own podcast. If some of you figure out how to do it, drop me a line. Anyway, uh, I can, well, how can I do it? Tim, I can do it from my phone. There's a podcast app. Thank you. All right. How do I turn my phone on? That's stu- <laughs> Can we start with that? All right. Uh, anyway, thank you uh, all for welcoming me uh, into your homes uh, at this late hour, into your den, your loft. <clears throat> your loft. Sorry about that. I need a lozenge is what I need. Uh, or perhaps your bedroom. Uh, I'm very privileged to uh, to be welcomed into your homes uh, a couple of hours every week. But like all good Canadian boys, I always remove my shoes uh, before entering an abode. That's I don't know if that's a, a particular to, to Canada. You always can tell if you're in a Canadian home. When you open the door, all the shoes are piled by the door. You ever notice that? That's a thing that we do in Canada. We take off our shoes. I think they do that in Japan as well, but in Canada we do. We take off our shoes or our boots or whatever before entering a house. Anyway, uh, listen, I, um, I'm delighted to have, 
a certified crackpot historian on the program tonight. We had to track him down. Tricky guy. Uh, he's really sort of locked into the, the fringe culture down in the United States and traveling uh, to a lot of the conspiracy. Uh, I think he was just at Conspiracy Con down in, uh, in California, down around Sacramento, I think it is. Uh, and I don't know why, but when he checks into a hotel, he uses an alias. So I don't know whether he's, you know, trying to, uh, trying to, uh, to avoid, uh, black ops or men in black or what. But we found him and he's with us and he just penned an extraordinary piece, uh, that's coming, uh, going to be published in an upcoming, uh, issue of Paranoia Magazine, one of my favorite publications. Uh, like to make use of the good people from Paranoia Magazine. Recently had Alana Freeland, the editor uh, of said magazine, on the program. Uh, but right now, Adam Gorightly uh, is with us, and he just wrote this amazing article called The Dead Comedian Conspiracy. Now, uh, my idea of a great date with the mighty Aphrodite, we go out to one of the local comedy clubs, and we love to laugh. And, you know, some of the great luminaries, uh, my, my favorites, you know, the Richard Pryors and the George Carlins, the thing about them was they didn't, they weren't just making you laugh, they made you think. These guys were philosophers, not just comedians. And of course, they're both gone. But there's a long list of comedians that checked out, you know, before their time, before their best before date, uh, under somewhat mysterious circumstances. And, and this is the subject of Adam's column or his article rather first of all let's usher in adam go rightly hey pal pal how are you welcome to the show hey great richard great to uh hear your voice talk to you again so uh what got you uh on this track about writing about dead comedians like you know the the lenny bruce's of course and the freddie prince and john belushi and sam kinnison and all these all these guys what 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 made you cobble this list together and and start thinking about how they died and whether they may have been targeted it's been uh, something that's been rattling around in my brain for many, many years. <laughs> and as I uh, mentioned in the article, it really came from a lot of the uh, mysterious deaths of rock stars that got me thinking along these lines. Let me take you back down memory lane a little bit. As I mentioned in the article, in the mid-'70s, when I was a teen, there was this uh, insert in uh, the newspaper called Parade Magazine came out for years and years. I remember in one issue, uh, there was a uh, list, and this, once again, this was in the mid-70s, about uh, rock stars who had FBI files on them, and it listed four rock stars, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, and John Lennon. And I thought that was kind of strange at the time, you know. And, uh, by 1980, all of them had died, and it made me think, uh, is there something more to this story? And so as the years passed, I became a student of conspiracy research, and uh, the late, great Mae Russell, as I started listening to some of her old radio shows, she uh, claimed that uh, it was her belief that the women had been part of a... Uh, conspiracy that some MK Ultra uh, type assassin had uh, murdered him, you know, because of his political activism, basically, and that uh, a lot of these rock stars were taken out, basically, because of that, they were a, uh, you know, they were popular with the uh, youth, they were anti-war, and they were people who could rally a lot of people in a short, you know, a short period of time just with their music and their popularity. 
And so, uh, you know, as the years passed, other uh, books came out about this. For instance, uh, Alex Constantine did one for uh, Feral House, uh, something called Covert War on Rock, that uh, went through this laundry list of rock stars with mysterious deaths. And I, when I started thinking about uh, comedians over the years, there seemed to be that same laundry list as well, uh, starting, of course, with uh, Winnie Bruce. Yeah, Lenny, uh, who died in, what was it, 1966. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that came on board before there were comedy clubs. Uh, and, uh, I mean, he would just, he would wax on for, you know, it wasn't, you know, uh, every two minutes there would be like five jokes crammed in there. He would talk for 20 minutes and then maybe at the end of that there might be a laugh and then he'd go off. Very political, this guy. Why do you yeah, think it was he was uh as you mentioned in your monologue there these uh type of comedians or philosophers they're also iconoclasts flies in the ointment you know uh, <laughs> they were uh needling the establishment they were uh, poking fun at organized religions and politicians back in the day you know when uh, that wasn't done as much and Lenny was one of those and he was uh, you know, part of that uh, counterculture that was coming forth, embracing free speech and sexual liberation, civil rights. Once again, you know, one of those guys opposing the Vietnam War, and he was very open about drug use and, you know, drug experimentation. And uh, uh, he's also very liberal with his uh, language, which got him in uh, trouble with the establishment. You know, his monologues were filled with, quote, unquote, obscenities, you know, that by, by today's standards seem rather tame. So he uh, got in the crosshairs of the establishment and uh, a battle ensued. Yeah, it got and to the point where his, his entire act, he'd just be reading the transcripts from his court case. That's uh, how it eventually evolved. He was so persecuted, not only for the uh, free speech battles, but I think he was, you know, they were after him, so there was a lot of drug busts, and uh, it uh, got to the point where his uh, great comedy kind of more evolved into it, this uh, crusade. He'd, you know, yeah, he'd go in some of those later routines and this read the trans, this court transcripts, and basically kind of drove him over the edge. He became a bit of a paranoid wreck, a recluse of sort. He was blackballed from the clubs, you know, because of all of this. He couldn't find work and uh, eventually uh, became a recluse and OD'd in his uh, house in the Hollywood Hills. But there was some curiosity surrounding that uh, overdose. That's for sure. Such as? Uh, Such as, well... One interesting thing is uh, he was uh, at his typewriter uh, right before uh, his death, and he was typing something about a conspiracy. Then he uh, ended up ODing in the bathroom, and there's famous photos of that where it's, uh, he's uh, curled up around the toilet with a needle in his arm. But uh, some of the curious things were that... Uh, in the aftermath, uh, there was no evidence that he uh, of the uh, instruments he used to fix or shoot up. There was just the needle in the arm, and it was admitted that the uh, cops found some syringes uh, uh, underneath the uh, you know in his uh, one of the bathroom's cabinets, and they pulled that out, out and set it beside uh, Lenny. 
And so there was all the evidence there that, you know, in the stage they brought in, you know, the tabloid-type photographers. I was going to say pornographers. You could consider them both. And uh, so, you know, that kind of appears that that, those kind of mechanizations were behind that, that, uh, you know, that's a convenient way to silence people. Absolutely, and discredit them at the same time. Dead, but dead of a heroin overdose. Well, this guy was a useless junkie. Uh, exactly. All right, we'll uh, come back with Adam Gorightly, certified crackpot historian, 23rd degree Discordian. He's been chronicling fringe culture in an illuminating manner for over two decades, an active contributor to the zine revolution of the late 80s and early 90s. Adam's byline was a familiar sight in many cutting-edge mags, and his articles have appeared in numerous publications such as The Excluded Middle, UFO Magazine, Paranoia, Steam Shovel Press, and 424, the largest soccer ma- magazine in Great Britain. Say what? All right, we'll come back and uh, talk about the dead comedian conspiracy with Adam Gorightly. Stay with us. Well, like I said, I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to just do whatever I can for people. Like the world hunger thing. Yeah, I watch these things on TV and I see those commercials and I look at it and I go, God, how cruel, you know. The film crew could give this kid a sandwich. You know the kid's not out there, uh, you know, filming a letter from home with a Betamax, huh? You know there's a director five feet away going, don't feed him yet! If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740. There's a little bit of the late, great Sam Kinison for you coming back in off the break uh, as we uh, discuss the dead comedian conspiracy. And we'll get to Sam Kinison a little bit later, but we're sort of doing this chronologically with uh, Adam Gorightly, certified crackpot historian, uh, just wrote a uh, tremendous piece for uh, Paranoia magazine uh, of the same name, The Dead Comedian Conspiracy. And we were talking about Lenny Bruce. Here was this true subversive. Uh, who had access to a microphone and, uh, you know, legions of fans, uh, really uh, uh, sticking it to the man, if you will, back in the mid-60s and uh, uh, dying under unusual circumstances. Again, uh, here he's found with uh, with a needle in his arm, but as you pointed out, Adam, uh, you know, not that I know uh, of this world, but what I understand is you you normally have to cook the junk, as they say. You got to you know there should have been a spoon uh, and matches to cook the heroin before you inject it. None of that was around. In fact, the police uh, found uh, needles uh, somewhere. I mean, he was he he was a user, uh, but in this case, he was found in the bathroom, and the police who found the body staged the death scene. So they found needles in the apartment and placed them around the body uh, or placed one in his arm and then brought in, I guess, the paparazzi to take this photograph. Uh, so that's that's Lenny Bruce. I, I wanted to, if we could move on to Freddie Prinze because after reading your article, this was something I wasn't aware of. We all remember, of course, Freddie Prinze, this up-and-coming Latino, uh, Hispanic comic uh, from New York. Uh, had this, you know, runaway smash hit TV show, Chico and the Man, with Eddie Albertson back in the early 70s. I, rem- I, I was a big fan. Scatman Crothers, of course. Uh, but I wasn't aware that he was so politically minded uh, and that he was, in fact, very interested in the JFK assassination. Tell me about that. Yeah, either was I until I started looking into it. And the first thing that uh, kind of raised my eyebrow was that... Uh, I had heard that he was, uh, you know, prior to his uh, suicide or whatever went down with him, 
that he was spending endless hours watching the the Zabruder film, you know, the film of the uh, JFK assassination, which, uh, you know, probably appeared to a lot of people that he had uh, lost his mind. What was he doing? And there was stories that he had become a drug addict, a cocaine head. And so uh, for a lot of folks, that's all the, you know, the little tidbits they heard. But as I started looking into uh, Freddie's story, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he was a rising star, a very young kid when he died, just 22, uh, Chico and the Man with Eddie Albertson and all that, Hispanic, uh, you know, somebody, once again, like those uh, rock stars in the 60s, look at the audience uh, he could reach, uh, the youth, the Hispanics, you know, it's kind of like a... uh, politician with that vote and that power, and he became politically active. Um, He saw the same show I did, this is going back to the uh, mid-70s when I was a teen, was uh, Geraldo Herrera's Good Night America, and I remember watching that, it was uh, 76 or 77 as I recall, and it was was the the first time time that the Zabruder film had been shown to the American public. That's right, I remember that. Yeah, quite a mind blower, and another comedian <laughs> was the one who brought that to the attention of America, Dick Gregory. Ah, yes. We'll talk, talk about Dick Gregory a little bit more, but well, he sort of defied the odds because here's, uh, you know, uh, again, now up in his 80s, uh, he seemed to, uh, he seems to have dodged the, uh, I don't know, the assassin's bullet or what have you, but Dick Gregory's still going strong and speaking out. But uh, back to Freddie Prinze. Now, did did. When he became sort of fascinated uh, or obsessed with the Kennedy assassination, did that start to make its way into his stand-up routine? I really don't uh, know that. Uh, I do know that uh, the reason, uh, you know, after he saw that uh, footage of the uh, Sabruder film, he started uh, communicating with Dick Gregory and Mark Lane, who's a... uh, colleague, you know, both uh, assassination researchers, and he actually, you know, was a wake-up kind of call to arms for Prince, and so, um, you know, he got his own copy of the Zapruder film, and uh, at one point uh, became so active, he was trying to organize a national telethon to raise funds to launch a new assassination probe, and, uh, you know, uh, Shortly after that, there, there was some activity in the U.S. They had the House Select uh, Committee on Assassinations that looked into all these assassinations. So Yeah, one year after his death in 1978. If, he, he almost made it to see that. But with her, right, yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of these performers have their, their inner demons, and, and it's, it's a two-sided coin. It's, it's what, in many cases, ultimately destroys them, but it also it's what makes, makes them so great when they're on stage or in front of the cameras. I mean, what, uh, what was going on with Freddie Prinze at the time? I mean, here he had this successful TV show. He was a, success, a successful stand-up comedian. And then I remember the day I was over at my friend's house, uh, Tom Balin's house, in, just down uh, the street in Brantford, Ontario. And we were, we were playing hide-and-go-seek in his basement, and we had the radio on. And the announcement came on that Freddie Prince had just killed himself. And, you know, I'm 13 at the time. Uh, absolutely floored by that. What? Isn't it funny how we yeah. remember uh, things like that? It is. Yeah. Um, well, 
uh, like so many who got entangled in that, you know, JFK assassination research, uh, like he died of curious circumstances on uh, uh, January in 77, only 22 years of age, and there were some oddities about uh, that. And um, so, you know, perhaps it was suicide. Maybe he was suicided. Uh, it was interesting after after uh, he basically blew his brains out, as I recall. I remember uh, going, wow, and I was watching some episodes of Chico and the Man. And I noticed on some of the episodes, he really had this look like... Uh, you could see behind the comic facade that there was uh, something in his eyes, some type of paranoia, or maybe maybe there was more to the story. Maybe he feared for his life, and maybe rightfully so. That brings us to, uh, as we sort of move along again chronologically, with Adam Gorightly talking about the dead, uh, dead comedian conspiracy. So we've moved from Lenny Bruce in the mid-'60s to Freddie Prinze in the uh, late-'70s. To uh, John Belushi, uh, which I believe was, what, 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another suspected uh, drug overdose. Uh, John Belushi, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> again, not one, you know, as I watched him uh, sort of growing up on Saturday Night Live, who struck me as being sort of political. Uh, not certainly on SNL anyway. We remember him, of course, from the Blues Brothers with Dan Aykroyd and the samurai, uh, the samurai, uh, uh, the samurai character and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and from you know, those, those great movies, Animal House and 1941. When, what, what got John Belushi, uh, perhaps, uh, on the wrong side of these black ops in your estimation? Well, let me share, uh, the story I heard. And this, uh, came from Dick Gregory originally. So let's, let's talk a little bit uh, about Dick Gregory before we talk about uh, John Belushi, just to set the stage. So, you know, Dick Gregory was this comedian, much, um, was like a colleague of Lenny Bruce, and he broke free of the black stereotypes, and he got involved in the civil rights movement, anti-war stuff. But he became this, uh, quote-unquote, conspiracy theorist. Um and uh, he was looking into things. He uh, brought forth the Zapruder film, actually was the one who helped uh, put the uh, three tramp photos, you know, in Daily Plaza, uh, helped to release those. The guy was involved in a lot of stuff. And so in the uh, early 80s, when I was starting to get into uh, these subjects, were starting to fascinate me. I used to listen to a, a public radio station, and they would play uh, Dick Gregory lectures after hours, pretty late, you know, like uh, one or two in the morning. He'd get into all this conspiracy stuff, and one time he brought up John Belushi, and that John Belushi had been the victim of a political assassination, and uh, it was it basically revolved around a bunch of Hollywood deaths, uh, Natalie Wood's death, and... Uh, William Holden's death, and it was kind of all wrapped up in that uh, William Holden uh, was uh, Ronald Reagan's best man at his wedding, and that somehow Reagan had shared some uh, state secrets, uh, some dirt uh, about the Reagan administration that ended up getting Holden 
uh, murdered. His death at the time, around the same time as Natalie Wood, seemed to be an accident. As and of course we know about Natalie Wood, the uh, strange death recently. They reopened the investigation for a short period of time, but I don't know if anything came of it. Uh, Natalie Wood was uh, married to Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner uh, was uh, knew Stephanie Powers. They were on that show, Heart to Hearts. <laughs> Stephanie Powers was William Holden's girlfriend, and apparently they're all connected, and that's what led to these deaths. And according to Dick Gregory, John Belushi was investigating these deaths. And also, on top of that, uh, Belushi also had some information about the uh, Kennedy assassination. He had contacted, like Freddie Prince. Um, he, uh, Freddie Prince had uh, Belushi contacted Dick Gregory and Mark Lane in this regard, and was preparing to meet with Mark Lane to uh, disclose some of this information. Uh, scheduled to meet him the day before Belushi died in his bungalow there. He was at the Chateau Marmont in uh, Hollywood. That's quite a landmark. I've driven by it many times, and and, and uh, you can't help but think when you drive by, uh, yeah. you know, that fateful uh, March 5th, 1982 night when uh, he he died apparently of, um, of a speedball administered by uh, Catherine Smith, who I guess was kind of a... Well, how would you describe Catherine Smith? She was kind of a, a groupie to the stars. Uh, I know that she at one point uh, was intimately uh, involved with Canadian troubadour Gordon Lightfoot. And you remember that song, uh, Sundown? Uh, he wrote that song about Catherine Smith. Yeah. Well, she's one of these shadowy characters that might be uh, fulfilling a role, you know. Uh who knows? Uh, the stories are interesting. The news reports that came out, the first news reports about Belushi's death said there was no, uh, he died of natural causes, whatever that meant. There was no signs of uh, drug paraphernalia, drug uh, use. Over a period of about a week, the story morphed into the more popular one we know, that he was this uh, loathsome creature, you know, like Lenny Bruce, who... Uh, did himself in with a needle. So, uh, if this was the case, then obviously it would have to involve the uh, the coroner's office, the LA County Coroner's Office. Uh, now, was uh, do we know who performed the autopsy on Belushi? Was it Thomas Noguchi? Yeah. Interesting. That, that was his last official. Uh, Autopsy. Then he was removed for, from his job for some from some reason. Um, for the second time, the first one being the fact that he refused to back down from his original autopsy finding on uh, Robert F. Kennedy. He yeah. was later reinstated. Uh, so this was his last official autopsy. And mm-hmm. and uh, did he? That I mean, what were, were his findings? Did he concur that this was, uh, you know, death by drug misadventure? Uh, it's, as I recall, it wasn't real uh, clear what uh, <laughs> his findings were. I'd have to look into my uh, notes some more. But uh, it's interesting though that all these all these uh, comedians uh, the, uh, they uh, they lead a trail that, that goes back to Dick Gregory. They yeah. all seem to have been in contact with Dick Gregory at some point. Well, that's that's quite interesting. You know, and I got—I mentioned in the article. You know, there's a couple of ex, uh, uh, exceptions to the rule. You know, these really politically active, controversial uh, comedians, and um, I pointed towards uh, Dick Gregory, and of course George Carlin with the pretty long life. 
The thing about uh, Dick Gregory, it's interesting. I heard him uh, in a recent interview in the last year or so, and uh, he, you know, somebody was asking him, "How come you've lived so long?" You know, besides, he's an active, you know, very uh, advocate of uh, good health. He's a vegetarian, uh, these type of things. Um, but he uh, said during, uh, this was like a clue during 9/11. He has a lot of contacts in the intelligence community, which isn't to suggest he's a spook, but that he has friends within the community that are looking out for him for whatever reason. And uh, these are also the uh, folks who share information with him. And one tidbit of information they shared... This Adam, I'm sorry, I'm going to do a little cliffhanger. I'm going to get you to hold on to that. We'll talk about Dick Gregory uh, when we come back as we talk about the dead comedian conspiracy here on The Conspiracy Show. We have a, a, the manager of the apartment building, the superintendent's name is Mr. Rivera, Puerto Rican guy. And you can't complain to him, right? He's one of those managers, doesn't want to fix anything, but he wants a key to the apartment anyway. In case of an emergency, like he needs a few dollars. And you go to complain to him, he answers the door, so you feel guilty, right? And uh, he has his kids here, and you go, hey, Rivera, no hot water for 20 years, and uh, no walls in the apartment anymore. <laughs> fix that when you have a chance? He's always, he's bothered by it. He's not my job. <laughs> he got mad that I said that on television. He came to me in the lobby. He said, Freddy, why you make fun of me? I, do I bother you? I don't bother nobody. I'm a nice man, but you talk about me again, I kill you. <laughs> I said, if you don't like it, why don't you shut off the city? Because it's not my job. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. There's a little bit of Freddie Prince uh, coming back. From the break there, as we talk about uh, the dead comedian conspiracy, uh, Lenny Bruce, Freddie Prinz, as I just mentioned, John Belushi, Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks. There was a great one we lost all too soon. George Carlin, uh, up in his 70s, but I could have stood another 10, 20 years of uh, uh, the brilliance of George Carlin. And we'll, we'll talk about George uh, with Adam Gorightly here in a few moments. Uh, although I have to say, George Carlin, after his wife passed away, George got real bitter. Uh, just towards humanity in general, and it was kind of difficult for me to watch him uh, near the end, uh, almost seeing this great mind just kind of unraveling and almost giving up. Uh, of course, we lost him to uh, supposed heart failure, but may- maybe Adam uh, Gorightly will disabuse us of, of that. Uh, but he was certainly very political and, a, and a, uh, uh, probably more than any of these, I would say, towards the latter half of his life, uh, just outing. Uh, the elites that he said that ran this country and, and uh, going on talk shows like with Bill Maher saying how your vote does not count. Uh, George Carlin may be the most subversive of all of the uh, the comedians we're talking about. Uh, we just, um, uh, let's see, where were we? We talked about John Belushi. Uh, oh, we were talking about Dick Gregory, uh, Adam. Yeah. And you were saying that Dick Gregory, here's another very subversive political comedian who has survived now into his 80s. You were suggesting he had some has some friends in the intelligence organizations who may be watching out for him. Uh, and uh, you were mentioning uh, an incident during 9-11. Yeah, this comes from uh, Dick Gregory. I heard this in an interview oh, in the last year or so, and he said he was in uh, New York uh, Prior to 9/11, <laughs> the day before 9/11, he 
and he was there, whatever, doing some a lecture or something like that, and got a uh, call from one of his friends within the intelligence community, the same folks who apparently uh, share a lot of information and whatnot with him, and they said, uh, basically, you need to get out of New York right now. And so uh, he did exactly that. I think he traveled to uh, Washington, and uh, that's when 9-11 went down. You know, his contacts probably just heard something was going to happen in New York, uh, which isn't to say that it would have uh, Gregory would have been at the uh, towers, but uh, it was enough information to you know uh, get him moving. So you know, apparently Gregory's been around for a long time. He has all these contacts. He has his ear to the ground. He probably has a lot of information stored away that. He's uh, kind of uh, protected himself over the years, you know. Nobody's uh, in a hurry to see him die now. Maybe some, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, uh, maybe some of that information would get released. Maybe that's what's, uh, you know, protecting him. Because he has been an insider all these years, uh, you know, and I've referred to all this information he knows about in regards to uh, all these various assassinations. One of my favorite uh, comedians uh, uh, of all time, Sam Kinison. Uh, here was a guy who would, uh, just for kicks, he would see if he could clear the room. I mean, his talk about blue humor. Uh, yeah. And you know, on a given night, I have a, a pretty good appetite for that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, I hope that doesn't come as a disappointment to some of my listeners. But, you know, we all have those moments. And, and Sam Kinison uh, would do that. He, he would just, you know, uh, he'd start tearing into people and, oh, there goes another one. And he loved it. Oh, but, I love that clip you uh, played about the uh, starving children in Africa. Nobody wants that to happen, but um, he's the one, you know, in that clip he was pointing out the hypocrisy. <laughs> Send a film crew to Africa to... Uh, uh, you know, make a documentary about the uh, starving children while uh, the film crew is rolling. That's right. Feed them. <laughs> right. I mean, and, yeah, and that's you use the word hypocrisy. That's that really encapsulates what he was about, pointing out the hypocrisy, uh, which is why he resonated so. I think. But again, taken too early, thirty-eight years old, driving his '69 Pontiac Trans Am, and uh, struck head-on on U.S. Route 95. Uh, and it wasn't a serious accident, apparently, or it didn't appear to be, but he got out, got out of the car, walked around, and then just collapsed. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell me about, uh, about you know, why Sam Kinison may have been taken out and, and who may have done it, and were there unusual circumstances surrounding that accident? Well, you know, once again, uh, who knows for sure, but he's from that list... Uh he, you know, he meets the criteria. Uh, if you look all the, at all these guys, isn't it quite interesting, you know, that uh, all the great ones seem to go down or something tragic happens to them, whether it's, uh, you know, this, what happened to uh, Richard Pryor or Bill Hicks, who was a uh, colleague of Kennison, and on and on and on, you know, the, really the best and the brightest. Uh, why? Uh, who knows? He uh, he uh, touched a nerve somewhere. He did something that, uh, you know, was, he was definitely anti-establishment uh, comedian. So uh, who knows? But it was an odd accident, and as you mentioned, he... Uh, 
climbed out of the wreckage and was walking around and seemed to be okay. Then all of a sudden, he uh, started uh, talking to himself, and uh, one of the words he said, uh, I have it here in my article somewhere if I can dig it out, but it was like all of a sudden he said, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And then he said, okay, okay, okay. And then he uh, suddenly uh, collapsed, and uh, they couldn't revive him. I speculate, you know, <laughs> being the conspiracy theorist, maybe those were the MK Ultra voices in his head. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but maybe, uh, you know, th that is what's going on in a lot of these uh, cases. It's uh, the establishment in whatever form or guise against the uh, anti-establishment comedians or rock mu musicians. All right, Adam, hold on. Stay with us. We'll uh, take a time out, come back, continue to talk about the dead comedian conspiracy. Adam, go rightly, crackpot historian, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They've got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying to get what they want. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. There's a little bit of George Carlin for you, and we'll, we, we will talk about uh, the late, great George Carlin before the uh, hour is uh, up with Adam Go Rightly, uh, who has just penned, um, gonna penned, <laughs> talk about a techno peasant. Nobody writes long form anymore. <laughs> anyway, he's just uh, written a, a wonderful article. Uh, when is this uh, appearing in Paranoia Magazine? Is it out now? No, this will be out in the uh, summer issue whenever that comes out. All right, and it's the Dead Comedian Conspiracy. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, Bill Hicks, another one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, I, I play Bill Hicks clips regularly on this show uh, whenever we talk about JFK, because if, if there was a guy who talked about JFK, uh, it was Bill Hicks. I mean, he had whole routines about the absurdity of the lone gunman and the single, the magic bullet theory and all that. I mean, if there was a guy who put himself out there, um, you know, on stage talking about this more than any other, it was Bill Hicks. And then suddenly, you know, a, he up and dies of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. He was, uh, you know, very uh, vocal about... Uh the first Bush regime and the war over there, and yeah, they did very heavy into the JFK assassination. Uh, boy, yeah, totally brilliant, brilliant comic. Uh, loved Bill Hicks, and uh, you know, what can you say? It was odd, right? Uh, once again, like a, a Freddie Prince. Uh, even Richard Pryor was really at the top of his game when he had his uh, unfortunate weirdness that started happening to him. Bill Hicks was uh, not at that point where he was going to really take off, I think. And then all of a sudden he dies of this pancreatic cancer, uh, uh, you know, 
type of cancer, the fast-acting stuff that uh, you see take down other people, similarly like uh, Mae Russell or Jack Ruby, you know, people appointed to them. Uh, it happened to Bill, you know, very young. Uh, that was uh, early 90s, and he was in his uh, early 30s. It shouldn't have happened, you know, but it did. Uh, why him? Uh, like so many others. Apparently in one of his last routines, he said, good people always die and the demons continue to run amok. That was one of his last uh, appearances, apparently. Great. Yeah, you've been playing some great clips tonight. That one from uh, Carlin pretty much sums up <laughs> anything uh, I would have to say, uh, you know, uh, suggesting that there might have been uh, uh, something all, uh, fishy about his death. Uh, at the time, you know, he, he lived a pretty long life. He had these cardiac uh, problems, but uh, toward the end, he was really uh, sticking it uh, to the New World Order, so to speak. Uh, I'll never forget his appearance, I mentioned earlier, on the Bill Maher show, uh, yeah. with some some political uh, uh, pundits uh, talking about, I'm not sure if it was the uh, the 2008 uh, presidential election or primary season, because he died, I think, in 2008. Um, so the lead-up to that election. And uh, they, were, they were talking, you know, politics as usual, um, who was going to win and why. And, and, uh, and uh, here's George Carlin just cutting to the chase and saying, you're talking nonsense. None of this matters. It's just a show. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, people started in the they started applauding, uh, and uh, the the, uh, the pundits they didn't know it didn't it didn't compute. They didn't know how to react because here was someone coming at it from an entirely different direction it had never been said like that yeah. on, on 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 television in such a mainstream television that way. No BS and to the point, and uh, that shows you the <laughs> the power of uh, comedians. You know that that he would have that such a reaction from the crowd, you know, that wasn't anticipated. But, right. you know, that that's uh, that simmering there in the uh, populace, you know, what he was uh, articulating during that period that uh, you're fooled. You, we don't have any power, really. Uh, it's all an illusion, uh, you know. <laughs> well, of course, that's, we all remember Carlin from the uh, the early 70s and his, his uh, battles, um, uh, like Winnie Bruce. Yes, with you know the seven words that you can't say on television and so forth, and that got in, got him into a lot of hot water with the uh, I guess was it the FCC. Yeah. Um, but I find that I, I think you know now that stuff sort of seems fairly tame uh, forty years later. But I found that George Carlin got more subversive, more dangerous, if you will, to the establishment as he got older. I, well, I think so. I agree with you. Towards the end, there he was uh, really what he wasn't mincing his words. And did Carlin have a, a long association with with Dick Gregory as well? Uh, that's funny you should ask. I've never uh, looked into that. Uh, not that I know of. Who have I uh, not mentioned uh, on, on the list? There was oh Richard Pryor. Uh, yeah. Richard Pryor, of course, uh, uh, preceded. Uh, you know both Bill Hicks and George Carlin, I believe, in, in passing, and he languished with, with uh, I believe, um, uh, multiple yeah, sclerosis uh, for many, many years. But mm-hmm. prior to that, back in the early '80s, there was that incident when he was seen running out of his house 
in some Tony neighborhood, uh, Beverly Hills perhaps, on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was set aflame, uh, supposedly, while attempting to freebase cocaine. The, the story uh, kind of changed, you know. I, you heard different versions from Richard uh, Pryor. I was going to mention earlier uh, Freddie Prince uh, when he was putting, trying to uh, do a national telethon and uh, to uh, raise money to look into the uh, Kennedy assassinations. Uh, Richard Pryor was on board for that effort, so you know. Pryor was interested in these subjects, and once again, you know, he was one of those very iconoclastic uh, comedians out of the mold of uh, Lenny Bruce, really pushing the envelope, you know, like uh, Carlin and Hicks, and they <laughs> they were all in the same club. And so, you know, Pryor, he was really at the top of his game when that uh, quote-unquote accident happened in when early 80s, I guess it was in 1980, you know, and... uh, Wasn't expected to survive. I mean, he had burns to, uh, I don't know, 70% of his body, serious burns. Yeah. And, you know, there was different stories. One that, uh, yeah, he was freebasing cocaine and uh, somehow set himself on fire or that he intentionally uh, doused himself with Bacardi and set himself ablaze, but... uh, who knows, perhaps uh, uh, somebody else besides himself said, uh, you know, uh, maybe it was done to him. Uh, but ultimately, of course, he was uh, silenced uh, by MS. So, yeah, I mean, totally. what is your what is your, your gut tell you, or after researching this, I mean, if you were to place uh, bets, or a bet, <laughs> that the likes of Prins and Bruce and Belushi and Kinnison and Hicks and Carlin and Pryor uh, and others that we haven't mentioned tonight were targeted for assassination as part of a CIA-FBI counterintelligence program. What, what would you say the likelihood is? I would bet more on the likelihood, you know. Um, it's... Uh it's impossible to say for sure, you know. <laughs> I'd be foolish because I don't have enough evidence to say that. But, yeah, my gut tells me, yes, this is what's going on. What, what do you think? I don't know about in each and every case. Yeah. Um, but I certainly believe that, uh, you know, here we have today, for example, uh, and I, I, I believe that this power has has been exercised for a long time, but it's only recently come to light. And that is, we now know that the president has uh, an assassination list uh, and will order the assassination of U.S. citizens if they are considered to be terrorists. Uh, now, we are we are repeatedly told that that, that will never happen on U.S. soil. Uh, I don't necessarily buy that. And uh, uh, never mind the president. I, 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 I believe that people like J. Edgar Hoover, uh, and I realize you know he's not here to defend himself, but I think it's pretty well documented. Uh, you, you, you can find Hoover's fingerprints in the deaths of not only Jack Kennedy, but Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and well, on and on it goes. So and I, also the whole COINTELPRO program which targeted these radical activists, uh, such as members of the uh, Black Panther Party. But, uh, you know, theoretically, uh, Lenin was pr- 
persecuted by the uh, government and I think was part of that program as well. So, you know, where does it stop? It's been a great hour. We'll have to do it again soon. A great article, The Dead Comedian Conspiracy, coming to the summer issue of Paranoia magazine. Adam, always a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, sir. All right. Tim Spreen, thanks for uh, production. Some great clips tonight. Back next week, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and a World Bank whistleblower Canadian exclusive. Until then, good night.